Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. In about 420 BC, the Jews were trying to rebuild the walls of their city, Jerusalem. A man called Nehemiah had gone back to Jerusalem because the walls were broken down and he had favor with the king of Persia. And we said last week, it's a picture of us, you and me, having favor with the king of the universe and trying to rebuild the cities of our lives. Proverbs 25 says, a person who can't control themselves is like a city broken down without walls. So you and I can be that city where we need God to rebuild our lives. And if you are struggling with compulsion or depression or all sorts of things where you you feel out of control in your life, I want to tell you there's good news. The walls of God's city in your life, rebuilding your thought patterns, your habits, uh, your values in your life. The walls represent security, identity, and limits. Security means I feel secure and safe because I have God's walls in my life. Identity means, you know, without walls, there is no identity to a city. You can't tell who's in the city and who's not. There's just houses and people scattered around. Is this a city, isn't it? But when there's walls, there's identity. And your identity in Christ can be built when you know the walls, the the values, the truths of God's word. And then the limits say, I won't go further than this. This is the line that I put in my life and I won't allow other people in or to go further than this in my, there are some values. We said before, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So the walls can be your personal walls. And I'm praying for that out of our message today. But then there's also family walls in your family's life. We need to build up the walls uh, in the church, the small groups and the ministries that people do, the youth, the welcoming, the alpha, the, all the different things that are going on. These are expressions of building God's city. And then together as the church, we are the city of God. So I'm going to read a lot from Nehemiah today. Let me start in chapter 2, verse 11. This is Nehemiah speaking. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well, the refuse gate, and he, he goes and he does an exploration. Uh, he, he gets in the secret place. He's hearing from God's heart and he's seeing the plan of God's city that God wants for him, for his city. And, and that's for you and your family, personally, family and church. Get alone with God. Pray for your kids. Ask God for his vision. You know, if we build according to his plan, it will succeed. We'll have security, limits and identity, but also 1 Corinthians 3 says, when we build according to his plan with his materials, it lasts forever, even into eternity, because we're building a heavenly city in our lives. So this is valuable. This is helpful. This is important stuff. We need to get that vision. And then in verse 18, he goes and he starts talking to the people of Israel. End of verse 17. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying this to you. Let's build 
the city of God, that we may no longer be a reproach. For you personally, for your family, get a vision, get a passion. There is something worthwhile to build. And in verse um, 18, it says, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good, to, good upon me, and of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. The people were willing. They were volunteers. Psalm 110 says, your people, your troops will be willing volunteers in the day of your power, Lord Jesus. There's something about us saying, yes, I'm in. Count me in. I'm part of this team. I'm part of this mission. Yes, I am in. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. So now I'm going to go to chapter 3. Then Eliashib. So let me just give you a heads up here. It's a list of names. How many of you have ever read the lists of names in the Bible and thought, oh, let me skip that chapter? Oh boy. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Oh, another list. Another weird name. Chapter 3 is a list of names, but it is precious because each person is a nobody but because they volunteered to build their little section of the wall next to the person next to them, their names are recorded in Scripture. And the Bible says your word is settled in heaven forever. Their names are recorded in heaven forever. They built an earthly city, but they were doing it for God and with God's instructions and pattern. And because of that, their names are written forever. One other thing is Nehemiah, who was the overseer, the kind of administrator who got them all organized, his name is not in chapter 3 because it's the, it's the little people. Church is not a show. You don't pay your money and go to the show and clap at the end and say, what a good performance. It's us building. And the person at the front's name isn't even in the list. Let me read to you. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up rose up yes i'm going to get a vision i'm going to get a passion i can do this rose up with his brethren the priests and built the sheep gate they consecrated it and hung its doors they built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it then as far as the tower of hananel next to eliashib right next to him the men of jericho built and next to them zakur the son of imri built also the sons of Hasena built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Arijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Mushulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Friends, I want your name to be written in the book of heaven that says lighthouse city of God built in St. Helia. And there are many of us whose names are in there. But it says the nobles were too proud to put their shoulder to the work. And they're the only ones in this whole chapter whose names we don't know. The nobles. Oh, the hoity-toity ones. Too, too proud, too great to do the lowly work, washing the dishes in the kitchen afterwards, doing children's ministry, welcoming at the front door, leading a life group, ministering to their family, praying with their kids, going into schools, leading youth groups. Too good for that. No, no. For them, the city is 
I'm a, I'm a noble. I walk in and I, I want the city to look after me. No, no. Their names are not even in there. But the others, the others, they did their work. And we can do that. We are doing that. As a church, it's just wonderful for, for me to see how everybody gets involved and stuck in. Let me just say that whatever you're building in your life, whatever it is, it has nothing of value compared to the enduring value of building the kingdom of God, the city of God. The Bible says physical exercise profits a little bit, but godliness is of value forever. So in your personal life, how much are you building your body? How much are you building your mind? How much are you building your bank balance, your house, your business, whatever it is? Do it. It's of some value, but building the city of God. 1 Corinthians 3 says all that other stuff will be burned up, but what we've built with gold, silver, and precious stones, the city of God, built on God's foundation, for God's purpose, the things of God. When we serve, when we pray, when we love, when we give, when we do stuff to build the kingdom of God, it lasts forever. I count it the greatest privilege of my life, and I really mean this, to be able to have seen churches started from tiny handfuls of people. We led a church in a small town in Zimbabwe. We started with a handful of us, six of us. It was me and my wife. My children were very small then. And there was another family, Dave and Sandy and his mum Ning. And she had an old widow friend called Beatrice. That was the beginning of the church. We grew, we focused on the presence of God. We tried to build according to God's pattern. You know, it's God. Nehemiah says, where does the wall go? Where does, where's the foundation? Where are we supposed to build? It's not his idea and it's not a vote the people don't come together and say we think the wall should be like that no it's not a debate it's god's city <laughs> he says and when you build it on his plan then it lasts forever six years later we left that city and we handed over the church to someone else and a year after that economic disaster struck zimbabwe so the electricity supply was cut off for the whole city virtually but the church for some reason had electricity and so all the business people in the city realized and they they were told you can come to the church and do your business it became a hub of business and then the hospital ran out of medicine and they couldn't pay the doctors so the the government hospital closed down and we had doctors in the congregation and people from overseas were donating medicine the church became the hospital and then the schools, they couldn't pay the teachers, the, the government schools. But there were teachers in the congregation. They opened the church. They said, come, let's have a school here. And I want to say, if you build the city of God, which is a spiritual, it's an unseen, ethereal thing. You can't tangibly say, this is the city of God. Even though we meet in a building, we rent this place, we might meet in another building one day. Who cares? It's not about physical things. It's about the spiritual life of God in us and in our families, individuals and individual families. When we build that, it spills over to the physical world and the non-believers out there can see the tangible results of the city of God coming out of us. It's amazing. You know, Jesus said uh, when he started his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
And then he said what he was going to do, preach good news to the poor. You know, when we preach the gospel and we build churches, the poor get blessed. In the town where we were at, I was an accountant and an auditor for many of the NGO aid agencies from Sweden, America, Norway, all over the place, who were sending aid in to try and help the poverty in Zimbabwe. And they would pour billions in and they would set up all these fancy structures and they were failing. The community was not being helped. We, with no resources, planted little churches in the poor areas of the town. And they were helped. Widows whose husbands had, had died of HIV got to know Jesus and Jesus changed their lives and they said, I'm going to take in and adopt eight orphans whose parents have died of HIV. And we started a, a, a grassroots orphanage. People were getting fed an old age home that couldn't run anymore. They said to the church, will you help us? We helped them. The, the community was changed because it's spiritual first and then it overflows. To the, to the natural. I want to say to you, if you are building the kingdom of God in your life, in your family's life, or in this church, it is not a small thing. It is the greatest investment of your life that you could ever make. Amen? Amen. So now I want to just talk about a few mistakes that we make. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Nehemiah talk about attacks and challenges that came. So the people gathered together. The whole of chapter 3 is talking about one by one next to each other. They built in front of their house. The little family said, I'm going to do this bit. Some people are good at looking after children. Others are good with money. Others are good with praying. Everybody got involved. Their families got involved and they built the wall, just their little piece. And because they were right next to one another, the whole wall, the whole city became strong. But there were enemies, Tobiah and Sanballat. And at the end of chapter 6, we get an insight that Tobiah was actually a Jewish man. And he was related to the people who were building the wall. He was, seemed to be one of the gang. And he was a highly respected man. Can I just say a little aside here? They found a papyrus um, piece of papyrus in Egypt in 1907. And they found out it was dated to 419 BC. And in it, it names Sanballat and a few of the other people that are in the book of Nehemiah. The actual original papyrus with the names of the people are there. They were real people, but God was, God was doing something, but the devil was trying to do something too. And he used people to stop them building the city of Jerusalem. Can I just make a couple of points here? Number one. There is an enemy. There is a war. Christianity is not just easy sailing. There is an enemy against us. Number two, now in the New Testament, we don't wrestle and fight against people. Although the devil uses people, we fight the devil and the ideas that the devil inspires rather than the people. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against powers, principalities, rulers, and authorities. We wrestle against spiritual forces and erroneous arguments and ideas. 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal. It's not a sword anymore, but they're mighty for pulling down arguments and taking thoughts captive. We have the truth of God's word, and we fight against lies of the devil, plus 
with the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes that are ready to share the gospel, sword of the spirit, shield of, the, of faith, the helmet of salvation. We fight against spiritual forces. The devil still uses people, but we love the person and we fight the evil enemy behind the person. We never attack a person anymore. But in the Old Testament, you might have thought, why is there so much bloodshed and killing in the Old Testament? It's because the spiritual and the physical could not be separated because Jesus hadn't died yet and made a way for us to defeat the devil. So in order to fight the enemies of God, they had to stab people. But we don't anymore. I hope that helps you with those puzzling questions you have late at night when you're lying in bed after just reading Joshua chapter 10. They caught a Donny Bezek and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And you're thinking, what? What's that all about? The reason is the spiritual and the physical were not separate then. You had to fight people, but we don't. We fight principalities and powers, and we can win. Amen. We've already won. Right, so chapter 4, there are two attacks. Verse 1, so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant and mocked us. And it goes on to talk about how he mocked them and he derided them and he belittled them. And Tobias says, even if a fox climbs on that wall, it's going to break down. They just belittled them. I want to tell you, if you're trying to build the kingdom of God, the city of God in your family, in your church, in your business, you will have people used by the devil to mock you and belittle you. And you may even let those ideas get into your own mind and think, am I crazy? Why am I putting all this time and effort into the church and God's work and loving people and helping people? Am I crazy? It's an attack of the devil. And in verse 4, this was the response of Nehemiah. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder. He prayed. He ignored them and he prayed. You will have people attacking you and you will have the devil putting ideas into your own mind. You say, get behind me and you pray and God will move forward. Then the next attack was in verse 7. Sorry, verse 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. This church has people who have a mind to work. I am so blessed when I see Jella and Jackie leading a life group, term after term after term, and the fruit that comes out of it. When I see people praying, when I see people on the streets witnessing, when I see the Alpha Course, people cooking, we have a mind to work, and it's wonderful, but it says, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the, uh, and a few others heard that the walls were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry and all of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem. The devil will attack us. Jesus said, John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, we can fall into two traps here. The one ditch on the one side of the road, which is an error, is we think there's no attack. There's no devil. I don't need to worry. The other error on the other side of the road, the other ditch, is I'm just consumed by thinking about the devil. And both of those are wrong. In chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Those who built on the wall... And those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction 
and with the other they held a weapon. The answer is not one or the other. It's to work at what God's given us, but to be aware and ready with the weapons of our warfare. Righteousness, truth, spreading the gospel, praying in the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, helmet of salvation. We have the weapons we need. And when the enemy comes against us, Revelation 12 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. When we resist the devil, he must flee from us. But we don't let it consume us. We've got a job to do, amen? Be aware, but don't be scared. Chapter 5, when this wasn't working, there was a subtle attack. The devil no longer tried to come through Tobiah and Sanballat. He got into the hearts and minds of the individual people who were building the wall and they started to take advantage of one another. So the rich people would lend money to the poor people and when they couldn't pay it back, they would take their children as slaves or take their land as, as security and, and it became an unjust situation. And so Nehemiah gets upset with this and he says, guys, stop this. We can't do this anymore. We're going to have a day of forgiving of debts. And I want to say that that is another way that the church, the devil can get in there, is he can cause us to be offended with one another. And the answer is forgiving of debts. Now there's a process involved in that. Matthew 18 um, says that when your brother sins against you, go to him alone, tell him his fault, have a discussion, and if he repents, then you forgive him. There is a process of forgiveness. We go to him alone, we don't tell everybody else, but we need to get past this thing of being offended with one another. Can you imagine if, let me just get a couple of the names here of the people who were building. The sons of Hassana built, and next to them Merimoth, the son of Arijah, built. Imagine if the sons of Hassana and Merimoth were offended with one another. They're building the wall right next to each other. Oh, I, I can't get on with him. There's going to be a breach in the wall. There's going to be a gap between his, Merimoth's part of the wall and the next guy's part of the wall. And the enemy can get in. We've got to make sure we forgive, we cancel debts, we forgive as we have been forgiven. Amen? So, these are the processes that the, the devil was using to stop them. And there's three more. We've had three. There was words of mocking and derision and lies, uh, intimidation and fear. That was the first one. The second one was actual attacks where we have to stand up and resist the devil. The third one is unforgiveness and disunity between us. The fourth one is in chapter 6. Verse 1, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. See, they've resolved all the attacks so far. No breaks. Everybody's united. We're, we're coming against the attacks. We've done it well. They've heard there's no breaks. Although at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But he thought to do me harm. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work. The next attack, the next uh, scheme or strategy of the enemy is to distract us. You know, people who have been involved in church, they've been serving, they've been giving, they've been working, 
and then suddenly they think, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to have a break, I'm going to sit back for a bit, and their energies go to do something else, which isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes the other thing is a good thing, but it distracts us from what God is doing. If Nehemiah had gone to the plain of Ono, which was 30 miles away, the enemy would have come in. It was a distraction. Be careful of distractions. Do what God has said you must do, not what other people put pressure on you to do. Amen. Very important. Right, we're nearly at the end. The next distraction, the next problem, was lies and rumors. Verse 5, Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, and then there's various lies there. I'm going to read it to you. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, rumors, can, <laughs> therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall. And verse 8, Nehemiah says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Rumors. Things spoken about you. you. You notice what he did. He sent a servant with an open letter in his hand. In other words, he didn't give him the letter. He was saying something else, but he left the letter in such a way and in such a position that Nehemiah could read the letter and read about what he was saying to other people about him. Friends, gossip, rumors, lies are a damaging thing. You know, in 1 Samuel 24, David says to King Saul, God, God was wanting Saul and David, the, the old king and the replacement king, he was wanting a smooth transition, but Saul was believing rumors about David. And David says in 1 Samuel 24, verse 9, he says, why did you believe them? Why did you believe those rumors? Why did you believe it when they said such things about David? And now you're attacking me and trying to kill me. Friends, can I ask you this? Why do you listen to rumors? When somebody says something to you about another Christian, why do we listen? You know what we should say? No such thing. I will do what the Bible says. I will always trust. I will always hope. I will always persevere. I will always think the best of my brother or sister, and I will not listen to a story about them. Why do you listen? He used rumors and lies. And then the last one, verse 10. Afterward, you see how the devil tries so many different ways to stop us building the kingdom of God. This is the very last one. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer, <laughs> Can I just say, what, what happened here was there was a man, he was a secret informer. Other versions don't use the word secret informer. They say he kept himself locked up in his own house. It's a difficult phrase, but basically what it means is he was a secretive, hush-hush kind of person. You know the person who sidles up to you and they say, can I, can I talk to you? <laughs> Have you heard? And he was, he was pretending to be a prophet. He was pretending to prophesy, but he was actually prophesying. And he says this, let us meet together in the house of God. Sorry, whisper. Let us meet together, house of God, within the temple. I've got a, a revelation. I've got a, a really important word from the Lord for you. 
Let us close the doors, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Have you ever had a word, a word, a word from the Lord from someone and it, you just didn't, it didn't feel right? Have you ever had someone sidle up to you at church and say, come, I want to tell you something, but don't tell anyone else. Don't tell the pastor. And I said, he just, he just blatantly responds. You know, Jesus said, the things you hear in secret, proclaim from the rooftops. Secret is not good. The devil works in secret places, in little close-knit groups where no one else, we're the, we're the special ones. That's not of the Lord. Should such a man as I flee? This is Nehemiah re responding loud. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? The, the Bible in these days said that only the priests were allowed in that part of the temple. Nehemiah wasn't a priest and this man was saying, come into the temple. He says, it's not right. It's not right what you're saying. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Even within our own ranks, We've got to say, I'm standing firm to the word of God. So I've got to challenge us now. I'm, going to, I'm just going to close with a couple of challenges here. Folks, number one, can I ask you to be like the Israelites were? They said, yes, let us rise up and build. Can I ask you to commit? You know, if one of those Israelites had been building his house on his own, he says, I'm building my life according to God's plan. I'm building my house with God's blessing and according to his foundations. I'm even building the wall in front of my house. If you're on your own and doing God's things on your own, but you're not part of the city, the family of God, where everybody else is building the wall next to you, you are vulnerable. We have to commit. We have to join together. It's only in unity that God's city is built. God designed Christians to be in families. When you go into the kitchen and you want a banana, which banana do you pick? The one that's already broken off the bunch. When the devil wants to get someone, he looks for the person or the family that are not linked into a church. We've got to commit. We've got to say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this with my brothers and sisters. Secondly, we've got to say, I don't want to allow division, disunity, or even sin in my brother's life to damage what God is doing in our midst. And this is a difficult one. Up until now in our church, we have never encouraged Christians to challenge other Christians. But I felt like the Lord said it's time. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The pastor's job, Nehemiah's job, was to have a trumpet. He had a trumpeter next to him, and when there was an attack, the trumpet would be blown. My job is to pronounce if there's error. But Galatians 6 says each of us is our brother's keeper. If we see our brother making a mistake, 
being divisive, being negative, listening to the lies of the devil, the answer is not to ignore it and turn the other way. The answer is to, in gentleness, humility, and love, go to that person and say, please, don't say those things. That's not helpful. Are you, are you making an error here? I'm, I'm gently and humbly asking you, why are you doing that thing? Why are you saying those things? Why are you going to those places? Let's gently and humbly try and build each other up. Why? Because if I build the house and the foundation and the wall and my brother next to me does, but this brother doesn't, we are all vulnerable to that hole in the wall where the, where the enemy can get in. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.